everybody. Welcome uh, to Sunday School this morning. Uh, let's just open with a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get going today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us uh, through the creation around us and even more completely in your word. And I thank you that we live in a time that we have such great access to your word, so many tools to read it and study it uh, all so that we can know you better. And I just pray that this morning in our uh, study of Proverbs today that we would come to know you better and uh, love you more and be willing to obey you more uh, through the study of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today uh, we will, as I mentioned, be beginning a new study on the book of Proverbs, uh, which really goes hand in hand well with a study of Revelation, actually, as uh, the book of Proverbs is uh, really a study of, of culture and uh, how to live for the Lord whatever circumstance you're living in. And that, of course, goes well with the book of Revelation. And another aspect of a study of living in a corrupt culture is to know what the culture actually is. So I want to take a few minutes uh, before we really begin our study of Proverbs to, to look, maybe look at some articles or look at some current events and these kinds of, these kinds of things and apply them or see how we can use a, a biblical worldview to interpret the world around us. Because after all, if we're just studying the Bible and for academic purposes or to know we're going to heaven, you know, these kinds of things, that's, that's great. But we also have to apply the things that we learn about the Lord and what he expects of us in the circumstances that we're living in. And in order to do that, we have to know our enemy and the things that our enemy does. That's one of the very foundational aspects of the military and fighting battles and these kinds of things is to know your enemy. That's step one. You, get, you have to know your enemy. You have to know what they're going to do in order to counteract what they're doing. And as the Apostle Paul tells us, of course, our enemy, we don't wage war against flesh and blood. We're essentially waging spiritual battle against Satan and his forces of evil that are, that are all around us. So we have to know what's going on in the world if we expect to, to live properly in this world. So today, uh, I found this article this week or read this article this week, and yes, it worked. How about that? Uh, this is from uh, Ministry Watch. is uh, It's a very interesting uh, website. I'm, you know, as is typical of things that are parachurch ministries or uh, these kinds of these kinds of entities. We don't necessarily endorse every single thing that people say. However, when we come across good information, uh, we can take that and, and use it and kind of uh, just put that into our well of understanding and, and go from there. 
And uh, if you're using, not sure that it's working, but if you have the Faith Life Study Bible and these kinds of things, uh, one of the, or Logos Study Bible, and you're following along, open that up. You can follow along with the presentation. You'll actually have a link to this article that you can uh, save it for later or uh, whatever. But the website is uh, Ministry Watch, and they, they have some really good articles in that uh, on that website about kind of current events and things that are going on in uh, ministries around the country. So I f- saw this one. Uh, the title of it is Christian Leaders Speak at Soul Gathering of the Unification Church Group. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, I love to see people in the public eye, particularly in politics, who claim to be Christians. And I, and I probably incorrectly give them the benefit of the doubt and, and think, oh, you know, great, here is an evangelical Christian and they're squared away in doctrine and in politics. This is amazing. This guy is my hero. Uh, and we ought to be careful about <laughs> doing that. Uh, and just understand that politicians in particular, most politicians are lawyers, and that means that they are, uh, for the most, not all lawyers, but lawyers in general are not like the famous movie, I just want the truth. Uh, No, you want your version of the truth, and you want to get that person on the stand to back up your version to help your client and therefore help you. Lawyers are very rarely after the truth, they're after their own self-interest, like most people, a lot of people, uh, at any rate. And so they're at, lawyers and politicians are experts at people and know what people want to hear, and they want you to vote for them and support them. So they tell you what you want to hear. So uh, be careful, I guess. So anyway, back to the article. Past, uh, first paragraph there, Pastor Paul, Pastor... Paula White Kane, a spiritual advisor to former President (laughs) Trump. So what, I'll keep reading. Joined uh, prominent Christian Trump administration alumni in speaking at an international conference organized last week by the Universal Peace Federation, an organization founded and funded by the Unification Church, a Korean religious group that claims Christ's messianic mission was incomplete until completed by church founder Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Maybe you've heard of him. So at any rate, he, the, the Moon Group, they're the ones that where you see uh, like 300 Korean people all getting married at the same time. That's, that's this group. And so Mike Pompeo, he's in the picture there. Mike Pence uh, spoke at this gathering. Uh, President Trump apparently even gave... Uh, some remarks that this it's a unification uh, is the guys behind it anyway unifying Christianity uh, supposedly to carry out this great mission for the world uh, uh, and Christianity in general and we have to put Christianity in quotes there uh, the Reverend Moon died in 2012 but the summit featured tributes to his wife Hak Ya Han Moon sorry for the mispronunciation, who is called the Unification Church's, quote, true mother. The summit also featured a religious ceremony celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Holy Ascension of Reverend Moon. 
And so these uh, prominent political leaders, uh, among the leaders, former Vice President Mike Pence, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, U.S. House Speaker, former Newt Gingrich, uh, and Trump also offered some remarks at this uh, uh, conference, which is a very unfortunate. So at the Reverend Moon is a complete heretic, and uh, people are going, uh, prominent people in politics are going to this uh, conference to try to unify Christianity and these kinds of things. Mike Pompeo even called it the Lord's work, this idea of unifying the church uh, that this Korean church is doing, which is, boy, just really, really very unfortunate uh, statement there because this is certainly not the Lord's work. The, the church needs to be unified around the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, of course, that when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Yes, the work of Christ for the salvation of the world is finished completely. It's not incomplete in any way. And uh, to deny that is just blatant heresy. So we ought to be very careful about uh, who we're associating with there. And also, the, the, the conference, interestingly, also included uh, condolences for Shin, Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan, who was uh, assassinated a few weeks ago. He actually was a proponent of the Unification Church. The article claims that the man who killed him killed him because his mother had gone into bankruptcy for, do for donating all of her money to the Unification Church, and he was upset at Abe and killed him. Uh, so uh, let's see, what else do we have here? The event featured a holy water ceremony honoring Reverend Moon, who claimed that Jesus appeared to Moon and asked him to complete Jesus' unfinished work. He claims to be the true Messiah and humanity's true parent. In 2003, Moon said a crown should replace the Christian cross as Christianity's key symbol because the cross is a reminder of Jesus' pain. So, all of that to say, just be careful with, uh, with your thoughts about people that you don't know personally. I don't know Mike Pompeo. I certainly don't know Mike Pence personally. So therefore, I really don't know what they think about Jesus and salvation and these kinds of things. So try to tamper your expectations, I guess. You know, we ought to try to smooth out the road of life, not get too high, not get too low, and just carry on in our work for the Lord. But also at the same time, so there's an admonition, be careful about that kind of thing, but also just a reminder that when we elect the president, we're not electing the nation's pastor. We're electing a president or a mayor or a governor or whoever it is. So yeah, they might be kind of a slimy politician <laughs> and these kinds of things, but they also may support things like being pro-life, being pro-strong uh, defense, uh, be, you know, we'll just call it America first. Like, that just sort of makes common sense. We ought to be electing a president who has the interests of our country uh, first. And so, but just don't mix the two 
with their, their things they say about religion. Vote for the, vote for the person whose uh, policies most closely align with the Bible would be my uh, admonition as far as that goes. And speaking of the Bible... The book of Proverbs is a wonderful uh, section of Scripture. You can turn there if you would like. Proverbs chapter 1. We'll look at a little bit of that. And uh, speaking of politics and these kinds of things, the book of Proverbs is a, is a great place to go to align, to see whether or not candidates or politicians are aligning their policies with principles of Scripture. Boy, Proverbs has a lot to say about that kind of thing. Are they, is a, is a politician promoting policies that are immoral, uh, that uh, will lead people into sin, these kinds of things? Well, boy, maybe I ought to look for another uh, alternative. And the book of Proverbs is certainly very, very applicable to the time that we are living in when the very structures of Christian culture, to put it bluntly, are being torn down. We are in the midst of a a major collapse in Western society. America, not, not an exception at all. And as believers, this ought to be uh, very obvious to us, that, that there is just a complete... Uh, abandonment of Christian values. And I, I kind of lay this at, well, I lay it at our own feet, the feet of, of the people, but the public schools in America are, uh, and even some private schools as well, schooling essentially in America is kind of the foundation of what goes on in the country. Country. It's been said, so go the, the seminaries, so go the churches. So when bad doctrine starts getting taught in seminaries, it filters its way down into the churches 10, 15 years later, and then the church is not doing what it should be doing. Public schools, very, very much the same. And they have been teaching uh, humanism full stop since at least the 60s. Uh, in America, and we are starting to see the fruits of that. We're not; it, we're beyond starting to see. We are living the fruits of of that today. That uh, humanism, atheism, is the only acceptable view in academia today. So, as much as I hate to admit it, the leftists are are winning the the battle for uh, a Christian. Culture. We can see some uh, uh, tactical victories here and there again, like overturning Roe versus Wade, one of the most amazing uh, things that I've seen in my life, politically speaking. Anyway, but overall, uh, the leftists are in the far superior position. They own academia, they own the media, they own uh, the entertainment industry, industry, they own the publishing houses. They, they own the public schools. And so our only hope as Christians is to return to the Bible and allow it, the Bible to shape our thinking and also to shape our actions. That, that is the very key aspect of the book of Proverbs. We can have all of this information in our heads, but if we don't apply it 
to our daily living, if we don't make the right choices, because that's what it all comes down to, is the choice to obey the Lord, then it's kind of all for naught. And in fact, the author of the book of Proverbs is the quintessential example of that kind of a person. Solomon. We'll get to him here shortly. He wrote the book of Proverbs, and if you know anything about Solomon, he ended his life very, very poorly, uh, to, say, to say the least. And so one of, the, one of the problems that people have with the Bible is that they don't really understand what it is. The Bible is not a religious text. It's not a mythical book. Uh, it's not fictional. It, it's a combination of different types or genres of writing, but it, it's a, an historical account beginning with how God created the world and how he is moving in this world to fix our problem of sin. And then you have books like the book of Proverbs inserted into it that, that give us some wisdom about God and what he thinks of how we should live our lives and these kinds of things in this world in which we are living. And so the book of Proverbs, in large part, tells us how to avoid sin and how to avoid its horrendous circumstances in our daily lives. So I would encourage you, if you have kids or grandkids, that you would bring them to uh, Sunday school to learn some of the, these precepts in Proverbs. If you have kids or grandkids, I would encourage you to be here also to learn that because that's what Proverbs is. It's an instruction manual for parents or children and really everyone to, uh, but it's written from a father to his kids to tell them how to live in this world. So it's very applicable to us today. And we'll uh, begin with a, with a little bit of introductory material. I'm not sure how much we're going to get into it today, and that's fine. But uh, we will make our way into this wonderful book. But there's a few things that we need to understand as usual with any book of the Bible uh, before we can just start studying it. It is unique in that there isn't a tremendous amount of background information that is necessary, like the history leading up to it and these kinds of things like we normally do with books of the Bible. But there are some things that we ought to know. Like, for example, who is the author of the book of Proverbs? Well, as is the case so often, particularly with the epistles that we've studied, we've studied several of Paul's epistles, for example, the, the scripture tells us right very early on who the author is, and we ought to pay attention to that, uh, unlike a lot of the critical scholars who just, from the first words of the text, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, well, a critical scholar will read that and say, well, what we, if there's one thing that we know for sure, it's that Solomon didn't write these Proverbs, which is, wow, <laughs> that kind of tells you the point of view that they're coming from right from the very beginning. Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, is the author of the overwhelming majority of the Proverbs. In fact, what, Proverbs 1 through 29 are 
written by Solomon and no one else. Now, when we get to Proverbs 25, we'll see that there is some, uh, there is some edit- editorial work that's done by the wise men of Hezekiah gathering Solomon's Proverbs. But nevertheless, Solomon is the author of the book of Proverbs at Proverbs 1 through 29, and then we'll see that there are a couple of other uh, men who wrote uh, two of the Proverbs at the end of the book. Uh, But Proverbs chapter 1, it actually serves as a wonderful introduction to the book. That's exactly what it is, actually. So in in our study, we'll go through Uh, Our introductory study will go through a lot of Proverbs chapter 1 just to kind of set set the groundwork, and then we'll uh, talk about some other things as well. What is the title of the book? Well, that's pretty obvious. It's Proverbs, uh, and that is a practice that comes from the Hebrew Bible. The way that the the Jewish people name the books of the Bible is that typically they will take like the first major word of the text and that will be the title of the book. Like the book of Genesis is the Hebrew term Bereshith, which means in the beginning. So our our title Genesis is a conglomeration of all of those ideas kind of based on the Latin uh, beginning. Uh, Genesis, the term, means the same thing, the beginning. So that's where that title comes from. Proverbs, very similar. Proverbs is the first word in the Hebrew Bible, so that becomes the title of the text. And it it is part of the writings or the ketuvim in Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible being broken down into three different partitions, if you will. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The Nevi'im is the prophet's and the writings are the ketuvim, and that's where Proverbs uh, falls in the Hebrew Bible. We, in our English Bibles, it's included with the poetry, books of poetry like Psalms, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, and these, these types of, of writings. There, there are a lot of similarities between the English, the way that we break up our Bible and the, and the uh, Tanakh, as it's called. I don't think I mentioned that term. You may see that term from time to time. Tanakh is just taking Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, and uh, breaking them down as a way to remember the three parts of the Hebrew Bible. So, of course, Solomon is the author that we already mentioned, the son of David. We see that in Proverbs 1.1. He was the third king. Solomon was the third king of united Israel. If you remember, Saul and David, of course, the first two, then Solomon. And and Solomon, in fact, was the last king of the united kingdom, primarily because, well, he didn't end his life very well. He didn't apply the things that he wrote about in the book of Proverbs, unfortunately. And there was a huge cost to pay for that, obviously, as the, the, the kingdom divided primarily because of Solomon's disobedience and and not following the law of God led to drastic consequences for the nation of Israel and and really the world in general. So we can see the the effect that sin has in, in our world can be very dramatic. Solomon had this wisdom from God. 
the book of 1 Kings chronicles the life. Let's see what I did there. Uh, Chronicles the life of Solomon. Solomon received his wisdom from the Lord. uh, 1 Kings 3, 6. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, speaking to God. This is one of two times that God appeared to Solomon. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, and you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing, And have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. It's been said correctly that Solomon is the wisest person who's ever lived on this planet Uh, accepting Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, But he had this incredible wisdom. That kind of gives us a a great foundation for how to approach the book of Proverbs. This This is coming from a man who received his wisdom directly from the Lord. And in fact, he didn't only write 29 Proverbs. 1 Kings 4.32 says he also, speaking of Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. So we are just getting just a very small sampling of the, the wisdom that Solomon actually spoke uh, to the world. And like I mentioned before, he wrote Proverbs 1 through 29. Proverbs 25 through 29, we'll see, will have been transcribed by the wise men of Hezekiah, but Solomon is still the author of, of those. He also wrote Ecclesiastes, of course, and the Song of Solomon. So then when we get to Proverbs 30, we'll see that that was written by a man named Agur, A-G-U-R, and Lemuel wrote Proverbs 31. We don't really have a whole lot of information about these to people, but obviously uh, they wrote most likely sometimes subsequent to Solomon, and uh, my estimation would be sometime in the in the reign of Hezekiah as they were uh, conglomerating some more of Solomon's writings, twenty five through twenty nine, uh, Proverbs thirty and thirty one were included in that. And not sure why that made it in there. But what is the what is the theme of Proverbs? Well, verses two through six will give us a good indication of what the theme of the book of Proverbs is. 
It says in verse 2, Proverbs 1, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So the number one purpose of the book of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction, to be informed about God and his expectation for us as his people, essentially. So what is, what actually is wisdom? Wisdom is not just taking in information. That's kind of what our view or the world's view of, of wisdom is that, oh, we see some guy who uh, wins the Nobel Peace Prize in some form of science that we don't really even know what it is. Uh, And we think, oh, that guy is really wise when in fact, well, maybe he's not wise. Maybe he has no idea uh, how to apply the truth of this world. And in fact, there's probably a a really good chance that he doesn't even have the, the, the very foundation of wisdom and knowledge to begin with. And we'll get to that next in verse seven. So what is wisdom? And it is the application of knowledge is uh, uh, how an easy definition definition of wisdom. You have to have knowledge in order to be a wise person, but having knowledge doesn't necessarily make you wise. You have to know how to apply that knowledge to the world around you. And that's what wisdom is. And something that goes along with wisdom is the idea of being teachable. You cannot be a wise person if you think you know it all. That's a, that is a very uh, unwise thing uh, to do in this world. And that's what verses 2 through 6 really point out. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, and they are for the, the purpose to know wisdom and instruction, to discern sayings of understanding. Notice verse 3. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Uh, uh, To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. We have to be teachable to be solid Christians, essentially, in this world. And by a solid Christian, I mean a person who is uh, taking in the Scriptures and then applying them to their lives and their daily living. A, a, an absolute requirement of that, of course, is to be teachable, to receive instruction from the Word and then take it into your life and be able to apply it in the situations of life. Uh, that's essentially what it means to be wise and to be a teachable person. None of us, especially me, especially you, have this world figured out perfectly. However long you've been here, uh, uh, that is of no consequence. We are all 
fallen sinners with a sin nature still today, and that sin nature bubbles up in us and can overtake our thinking. And we suppress that with the Word, with God's Word, and then applying it to the world around us. And so we need to receive instruction. We, need, we can gain discernment. That is such a, a key part of, of being a, a solid Christian in this world and having a solid Christian walk in this world is having discernment, being able to discern uh, right from wrong, uh, discern when we see politicians like we mentioned earlier and some of the things that they're uh, pitching and purporting and, and uh, planning to do in the world. We have to use our discernment to, to understand who we ought to support in, in these various areas. Uh, we get wisdom from the book of Proverbs in righteousness. And by that, he primarily means uh, righteous living, which is our second tense of salvation. The book of Proverbs is very much focused right here on sanctification, the, the present tense of our salvation. That, that, that is what Proverbs is. We get very little, if any, next to no instruction in the book of Proverbs, uh, minus one, a couple verses here and there that we'll get to, uh, about justification, how to receive the forgiveness of your sins. This book is 99.9% focused on daily living. The, the justification kind of goes without saying. Now, how do we apply God's word and, and living in this world to our lives? Sanctification, that's what this book is about. And justice, there's, there's a word that we'll spend some time on when we go back and uh, study these verses in detail. I won't do it now. Uh, very misunderstood word in the world today. Equity, that's another one. Oh boy, I love Proverbs. This is, this is going to be awesome. We get to talk about some of these concepts. What actually is equity? Uh, but we gain prudence and knowledge and discretion. We can understand sayings. I mean, the, the book of Proverbs is, is just very fantastic. Uh, Roy Zook gave this definition for wisdom. And by wisdom, wisdom means being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities, observing and following the creator's principles of order in the moral universe. And what a wonderful definition that is for wisdom. Living your life in the reality that is God's creation. God's, God's creation and God's word is reality. Just full stop. When we go against God's word, we are not living in the reality that is before us. And, we, and the book of Proverbs helps us understand what is actually reality. When we're living in constant sin and, and sinning against other people, we're creating our own reality. That's what lying is, creating your own reality, and then trying to convince other people of your reality, instead of the truth is actual reality. That's the way the, the world actually is. And so the book of Proverbs will help us be able to discern 
what is reality and how to, how to live that way in this universe that God has created. So what is, what is the, the foundation of knowing wisdom, knowing instruction, being able to receive instruction? Well, that is, according to verse 7, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's another uh, good one for us as far as being teachable. If you are unteachable, uh, the book of Proverbs calls, calls you a fool. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we're actually uh, going to talk about the fear of the Lord in our revelation message this morning also. So I won't spend a tremendous amount of time on it, but fear in the Hebrew is the, the Hebrew term yurah, phobos in the Greek, uh, and there could be a misunderstanding of this. It isn't a fear like we're just, we get that uh, nervous feeling and we just run away from the Lord. That's kind of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, and that's not exactly uh, what we want to do. This fear should not drive us away from the Lord. It should be a kind of fear of disappointing the Lord, understanding who He is. And I, <laughs> I understand that there's a Creator. I'm responsible to Him. And He created me, and I don't want to disappoint Him. I'm afraid of disappointing Him. That's a good way to look at fear. And that term for Lord there in your English Bible, it's probably in all caps there. And that is a, a way that the translators inform us that this is the term Yahweh in the Hebrew, uh, just so that we know who we're, we're fearing, the one who is, who was, who is, and who will always be. That's essentially what that term means. Uh, and as I mentioned before, fools despise wisdom and instruction, according to, to verse 7. They, fools are unteachable, and it is foolish to not have a biblical worldview. That is uh, the very definition of foolish. You're living in your own created reality. That's what humanism is, atheism is. It's just creating a different reality from what reality actually is, and then living according to that. And we see the results of that all around us uh, very unfortunately. So we have to fear the Lord is the, is the beginning of knowledge. Step one, fear God. Know who He is. Uh, and as we'll see in Sunday school, or in the message this morning, submit to Him. That's step one for having knowledge, let alone being able to apply that knowledge uh, to your life. And so Solomon, being the author, here's a, a quote from Bruce Waltke. He w wrote a tremendous commentary on the book of Proverbs. Now, here's another disclaimer. Bruce Waltke uh, is one of these. He's quote-unquote a conservative theologian, but if you've Hated, um, I don't know if you're familiar with who he is. He's gone away from a literal seven days of creation, as has almost all of Christian uh, seminaries, including I just I heard a message uh, this week about this uh, where this 
kind of thing was mentioned. Dallas Seminary, uh, this, I, this was from several years ago, and the speaker said that there was one professor at Dallas Seminary who still holds to seven days of creation. That's kind of shocking. So, but anyway, they, at any rate, they can still give us some good information. Here's a quote from Bruce Waltke. If one should ask if Solomon is the wise author, how could he have died such a fool? Let it be noted that he constructed his own gibbet on which he impaled himself. That is, he ceased listening to his own instruction. Spiritual success today does not guarantee spiritual success tomorrow. And that is a, uh, a very apt quote to finish on this morning, that the Christian life is a daily, a, da- a more than daily, it is moment by moment, second by second application of the truth of God's word to the world that is surrounding you at this time. You could wake up first thing in the morning, say your prayers, be energized to go out and live for the Lord You can eat your breakfast praising the Lord, get your cup of coffee, go out the door, and the first thing you see is some billboard that is uh, promoting some kind of immorality, drugs, sex, whatever it is, and you can immediately be drawn away to that. That's how our sin nature works. So it is a constant, constant battle that we are engaged in. And that's why understanding God's word is so important. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And I just pray that you would be with each one of us in our understanding of your word and our application to it. I pray that that your Holy Spirit would remind us of these things moment by moment as we need them, as we live in this fallen world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.